I could uh, ask you to open your Bible with me to Hebrews chapter 13. You know, each week as we, we've been, you know, we've been toward the end of the book of Hebrews for quite a while now. And each week as we get ready to start, I, I am inclined to want to rehearse certain truths, lest you feel that the message would be saying to you, live like this in your own strength. Because it's really important. We live in an age when so much that is preached, even in what is called Bible-believing churches, is strongly based on human effort. Uh, But this is a spiritual truth. And human effort will not profit you. It will not profit me. It, it, It will never profit you and I. If you don't understand what I mean when I say that, go read Romans chapter 7. Just go read Romans chapter 7. And what you'll find in Romans chapter 7 is God the Holy Spirit speaking through a mature Apostle Paul. And he says, the good that I wouldn't, it's good that I would, the good that I would, what I want to do, the good that I want to do, I don't do that. And the evil that I don't want to do, I do that. Now, he's not talking about every day. He's not talking about his life as a pattern. If that's really your life as a pattern, then you're not a new creature. But what he's saying is, I wish I never did anything wrong, but I do things wrong. And I wish I always did everything right, but I don't always do everything right. And he goes on to say, if you get to, when you get to the end of the chapter of chapter 7, oh, wretched man, not that I was, not oh, wretched man that I used to be, but oh, wretched man that I am. What's wrong? Why is this like, why am I like this? Why am I like this? And his answer is clear. Because when I walk after the flesh, when I walk in my own strength, no matter, listen, no matter how much you know, no matter how precious the Bible, if you go to the chapter before that, he delights in the law of God after the inward man. It makes him happy. What God says he rejoices in. I spent time this week with someone who had a tremendous victory in their life toward the end of the week, but it had come at the cost of great loss, great um, uh, lack of victory earlier in the week. And as as soon as there was repentance, as soon as there was an acknowledgement that this needed to change, there was the, the ability to say no and for things to change in this person's life because this person is a new creature. But when you try in your own strength, listen, hear me. Oh, how God wants to set you and I free from our best efforts. There are people who are not saved who spend so much time around Christians who are walking after the flesh that what they think is, I'm trying just like they're trying. They seem to be a little more successful at times than I am, but we're all doing the same thing, but we're not all doing the same thing. We're not all doing the same thing. Those that are new creatures, those that are born again, have a power within them that those who are not new creatures, those who are not born again, they just don't have it. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus said, I understand this and I understand that and we know this. And and Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you can't see anything. You don't have any understanding, Nicodemus, because you must be born again. You must be born again. If you are, if you're a new creature, are you not sick of your own strength? Does it not give you great 
um, agony of soul to fail when you try. You know, the wonderful thing about Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7 is not talking about a young Christian who doesn't realize that they have no strength yet. It's talking about a mature Christian who just thinks, if I just doubled my efforts or tripled my efforts or quadrupled my efforts, surely if I give all of my time, energy, and attention to doing what God would have me to do and doing it well, I will be able to then do it well. And the answer is, no, you won't. No, you won't. Not in your strength. Now, can God do this? Oh, very, very easily God can do this in you. Can God make you into the man or woman that he would have you to be? Yes, yes. But you will know that you're not the one that did it. You'll know it. You'll know it. And when you have this victory, and this victory brings such a tremendous peace, such a tremendous joy, such a tremendous settlement in your heart, and others will see this and say, what is your secret? And your answer will be this. The answer is Christ. The answer is not religion in any form. It's not trying harder. It is, it is literally recognized, I am dead. Do you realize that you cannot fix Adam? You can't fix Adam. You can't fix Adam no, much, no matter how much energy and effort you put into it. You can't fix Adam. He must be put to death. And that's why, we, that's what, the whole point of baptism isn't making somebody wet, or if you're a Baptist, really wet. That's not the picture that baptism is meant to show. The picture is this, I died. When the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took my sin and all that I am that's terrible and wretched and put, not only did he pay for my sin, he, went, he put me to death with it. And now, nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me. Amen? So this new life that I live, I now have an inward man. I now am a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And you see it, and you, and you do see it. There, there, there are many Christians in this room. In the room right now, there are a couple hundred people. And in this room, there are many who are really born again, really new creatures. And when you see God at work in their hearts and lives, it gives us great joy. But when we try in our own strength, we will continue and continue and continue to fail. So as we get to Hebrews chapter 13, I said all of that because we're in Hebrews chapter 13, which is way past all that we have. It is now talking about this is what we could live like. This is how you could live because you are a new creature. This is how you should live. This is how God wants you to live, but you can't do it in your own strength. So do not understand, excuse me, do not misunderstand the things that I say this morning to say, if you want to have pleasure in your life, God's pleasure in your life, meaning you want him to be happy with you, behave yourself like this. That's not what I'm saying. The Lord Jesus Christ died for you so that you could have the relationship with God the Father that you couldn't have at all. And because that's true, because this happened first, now we can have this. Do you understand? Because I have everything in Christ, I now can have these things which are part of being in Christ. Oh, how I want you, oh, how I want every one of you to have tremendous victory in your life. It's just not my victory to give you, and it's not your victory to secure for yourself, but it is something God, if you'll humbly ask him, please give me what you want me to have. He desires for you to have it. You just will never be able to boast about it because you'll always be aware this is not my strength. 
This is not my strength. Some of the greatest servants of God that have ever lived, they did marvelous and remarkable things, but they didn't do it. They let Christ do it through them. And this is what God wants in our lives. So what I want you to do, I want you, we, we, John read, I'm going to read verses 10 through 15, and we've been focusing on this passage for a few weeks now. I'm going to make a couple of points having to do with what God would have us to do or how we can do these things, but let's see it in this context. We have an altar. Just put a big circle around the we have. We don't have time. We just don't have time. But Hebrews chapter 4, we have a high priest. Hebrews chapter 8, we have such a high priest. Hebrews chapter 6, we have an anchor of the soul. Hebrews chapter 10, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood. We've been looking at all the things that Hebrews says we have. We have this, we have this, we have this. And they're in order. They're in a wonderful order. They start with the first need that you have. And the first need that you have is someone to represent you. Someone to stand in your place. And then God says, because this is true, if this is true, because it is true, this is what changes. Because you have this, you now have this. Because you have this, you now have this. And because you have this, you now have this. And praise God for that. But along with the we haves, there are some let us. And we'll look at those as we go through. We have an altar. I want to stop for just a moment. Because it says we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. What did Adam and Eve lose in the garden? What did they lose when they sinned? What they lost was a relationship with God. That's what they lost. What they lost was the ability to have fellowship with God. Now listen, if you go to John chapter 17, verse 3, you'll read this. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So eternal life is knowing God, not knowing about God knowing God. Who do you know? If we were to go through the room and I would ask certain people to stand up and say, do you know them? Do you know them? Do you know them? The interesting thing is our church has had a tremendous amount of, uh, of families who have either got new orders or retired or that type of a thing. So a lot of families in our church that we all knew really well have recently moved. They've recently left the area. And a lot of you that are here today, you're new in a very real sense. And so you say, well, I don't know much of anybody in the church. And the answer is, well, many people in church don't know you either. We just don't know each other. But do you know so-and-so? And if the answer is yes, then you realize there's a difference. Everybody has had this asked before. Do you know so-and-so? And the answer sometimes is this. I know about so-and-so, right? Do you understand the difference between knowing about somebody and knowing somebody? God is not interested in you knowing about him. It's not what he wants. God is not interested in you knowing about him. God is not going to give you a quiz someday and see whether or not you know enough about him to get into heaven. Not what he wants at all. He wants to know you. He wants a relationship with you. He, in the same way, my wife and I have a wonderful, close relationship. We know everything about each other. Everything's not perfect about each other, right? But we know that. You know, one of husbands and wives, understand this. One of the greatest privileges in your life is you get to stand in a place that nobody else gets to stand in that person's life. You know, you know weaknesses and failures and fears and hurts that nobody else will ever know. And what a privilege it is to be able to stand that close on a death that nobody else. What a tremendous privilege. And God gives that privilege to one. A meaning one for you and one for her or, one, you know, or for him, depending upon if you're a woman sitting here. 
But God wants to have that kind of relationship and deeper with every one of us. That's what he wants. That's what God wants. So I start, he says at verse 10, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. The whole point is they could, listen to me, hear me. The point of eating is fellowship, right? The whole point, you know, when you have a fellowship, when we say we're going to have a fellowship, there's almost always, especially in a Baptist fellowship, there's almost always food involved. Where I grew up, where I grew up in New England, if you visited my house and you knocked on the front door, we immediately knew you didn't know the family. Because people who know each other don't come to the front door. I don't know why it's true, but where I grew up, if you know somebody, you don't go to the front door, you go to the side door or where the kitchen is. And you come right into the kitchen and you don't go into the living room and sit down in the living room. You come into the kitchen and you sit down at the kitchen table and you have just not necessarily a, a big meal. You just have coffee and, and, and maybe some cake just or brownies, whatever it is. You just have this kind of close fellowship with each other. Listen to me. Listen. God is not interested in meeting you in some big, great room and tipping his hat towards you and you tipping your hat back towards him. That's not what God wants. He wants you to come into the Holy of Holies, or, and I don't mean to be irreverent, but into the kitchen area, if you understand what I'm saying. Sit down with him and really talk about what matters. Amen? I mean, I don't, again, I'm not trying to be irreverent, but I want you to picture sitting down at God's house at his table with a cup of coffee and really talking about what matters in your life and letting him talk to you about that. That's what God wants. And religion won't give you that. That's what verse 10 is saying. We have an altar. We have a priest that gives us real access to God and we can eat if you understand what I'm saying, because of that offering. When they did their offerings, when on the Day of Atonement, the offering that went in and sprinkled the blood, nobody got to eat that offering because it didn't take away their sin. It just covered it for another year. But it was picturing the Messiah that was going to come. And those that lived in a relationship with God in the Old Testament still had the same faith that we have in the New Testament. They just didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, which is a great advantage to us. For the bodies of those beasts which, uh, whose blood, verse 11, is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. You cannot eat it. Wherefore, listen, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered for us. But notice he suffered without the gate. Now, he didn't have to suffer without the gate. Had Israel received him, he still would have died. But he probably would have died in Jerusalem instead of outside of it. They rejected the Messiah and they killed him outside of Jerusalem on purpose because they wanted the world to know we reject him. But God doesn't reject him. And I know I've said over and over and over again that the wonderful point about this is, listen, Christianity is never going to be politically correct. Christian, and, when I, and boy, please don't misunderstand when I say politically correct. I care nothing for political correctness, but I also care nothing for not being politically correct. If you understand what I'm saying, it's not like, oh, I'm politically incorrect and proud of it. I don't care anything about it. I really don't care anything about it. This is what God cares about, love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith and faint. That's the victory that God wants to give you. That's the victory that God wants to give me. Love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith and faint. That's what he wants. And here's the thing. It's not ever going to be popular. You'd think it would be. Because how can love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unbained not be popular? And here's why. Because you can't have your way when you do that. And people want their way. 
When I, was, uh, when I was a young Christian and I was talking to somebody about their salvation, this is what they said. I just think God is too narrow. If there were two ways to heaven, then I would be glad and I would choose one of those two ways. I said, that's not true. If there were two ways to heaven, you'd want a third way. If there are a hundred ways to heaven, you'd want a hundred and one ways. If there are a thousand ways to heaven, you'd want a thousand and one way. You want to know why? Because what you really want is what? Your way. And see, that's why there's only two ways. There's only two ways. There's your way or there's God's way. Amen? And God's way humbles you and I. But I don't care. Really, what, what are we? Think about it for a second. What are you? What are you that you should stand up and be proud? You're not. You're not. And you'll never meet God standing up in your pride. Never, never, never. The reason that the, 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 the foot of the cross is level, you hear that phrase all the time, if you want to meet me, if you want to meet me and you want to get along just wonderfully with me, you meet me at the cross, I meet you at the cross, we're going to get along just fine because we'll both be on our faces. And there'll be humility and there'll be joy. We'll both be so excited about our Savior, we won't have any time to be measured against one another anyway. All we'll be able to do is just enjoy fellowship with one another as we worship the one that died for us together. Amen? That's what God is making clear here. He suffered without the gate. Now, look at verse 13. So we have, in verse 10 you circled we have, right? So now in 13, circle let us. 13, circle let us. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. Before we look at this let us, let's go look at some others. I want you to turn in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 11, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11. And I'm only going to take a couple of moments. I, I mean, it is my intention only to take a couple of moments to see this together this morning. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11. God has done everything we need so that we can rest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us labor, therefore. What a strange 20 thing this is going to be, sound like. Listen. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. And the word labor isn't strive. That's not the idea. The word labor here means desire. Let this be what you want. Want this. Listen, listen. Want rest. Well, that's, that's a pretty simple desire, I think. I haven't met many people who don't want rest, who don't want peace, who do not want rest for their souls. God says, listen, because of what Christ has done, because of the first thing that you have, let's rest. Now listen, what does it mean to rest? What does it mean to rest? Picture it. Let's pretend we're doing, uh, we're going to do some mulch. We're going to put mulch in the flower beds here in a couple weeks. Some people are going to come do that. I may, I'll probably be out there and help with that. That'd be wonderful. We're going to put something nine, between 9 and 12 yards of mulch, which is a fair amount of mulch. Wheelbarrows and pitchforks and all of that. You'll have some tr- a couple trucks come in and dump it and we'll be able to spread this out. Okay. At some point, guess what? We'll be done. And when we're done, now I don't know how you are. I don't like to rest in the middle of a job. Do you? Now you say, oh, that's just because you're a hard worker. No, I'm lazy. So I don't want to rest in the middle. I want to rest when I'm done. You know what the problem with resting in the middle is? Starting again. Yeah, amen, right? You rest in the middle, then it's like, okay, let's go back and do that some more. No, let's not. Ask my father how I was when I was a teenager, amen? Mow the lawn, mow the front yard, take a break, never mow the backyard. Right? Next time, mow the backyard. Don't, don't mow the front yard. Amen? That way it's uniformly overgrown all the time. When we're done, we'll rest. 
When we're done, we'll rest. When we're done, we'll rest. Listen to me. When you finally stop trying to earn favor with God, you'll rest in what he has done for you. When your religion is no more about you, but about him. When your Savior is no longer your efforts added to what Jesus did on the cross for you, you'll rest. And that's what he's saying. Rest. I've done everything. Rest. Rest. Can you labor from a position of rest? You can. You can do a great number of things as a new creature. Now that you're saved, there's a lot of things you can do, but never for your justification, never for your righteousness, and never for a gold star. Just don't need it. Don't need a gold star. Jesus gave me everything I need. Amen? I would rather have his reward than mine. Amen? Anybody want your reward? I don't want my reward. I want his reward. Amen? I am glad to do many things, but not for my reward. I just want his reward. I will have his righteousness and not my own righteousness. That's all I want. God says, that's where I want you to start. Rest. Now go to verse, the end of the chapter, verse 16. Now, not only can we rest, but because of what Christ has done, it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, now listen, I just want you to, you're, 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 listen, please hear me. Notice how God makes this very, very clear. What is, the first, what is the first thing you need in order to have a relationship with God? And that is this, to cease from your own efforts. In order to have a relationship with God, the first thing you need is not your righteousness, but his. You have to cease from your own labor. You have to cease from your own efforts. So the first thing you need is to rest in who Christ is. Now, because of that, now a baby Christian doesn't spend all of his time with God like he should. But what he does realize is because I have Christ, when I'm in trouble, I can run to God. Remember that? Remember being a baby Christian? And every time something started to go wrong, where did you go? Right to God, right? And you started saying, well, I can come to God because of what Jesus, I really need you now. And God said, someday you're going to learn you really need me all the time. Amen? And you'll spend more time here than you will out there. But when you're a baby Christian, it says very clearly, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that's where we start. I need you, God. Now, what's wonderful is as you mature, you stop going to God when you need him and you just start going to God because you love him. All of us understand this with our own children. I, I, I know I've shared this before. When I turned 22, 22, I remember it was my 22nd birthday, my father suddenly became very smart. Nothing changed in his life, something changed in mine. Because my, my dad's not good at math, my dad's not good at physics, my dad's not good at the things that I did to become an engineer. And so I just assumed that because my father couldn't understand algebra or, or calculus, I just assumed he was stupid. And I'm not joking, on my 22nd birthday, I was sitting with a friend of mine, and I said, can you pour a concrete slab? And he, and what a stupid question. And he looked at me and said, what? I said, can you pour a, con can you pour a concrete slab level? And he said, I doubt it. I said, my dad can. I said, can you, fix a, can you fix an engine? And he said, I doubt it. I said, yeah, I don't think I can either. I said, I just assumed my dad could do all these things because they were dad things. And that somehow you just, when you became a dad, like you just were imparted with this brilliance. <laughs> but that's not true. Do you understand? That's just not true. What happened is I began to realize where I didn't have what I thought I had because I didn't have the relationship with my dad that I could have. You know, if I'd have been a humble teenager, I could have learned a lot of things from my dad. 
But because of my arrogance and my pride, I only went to see my dad what? When I needed something. Right? I only went to see my dad when I needed something. And that's how we are as young Christians. We, because, see, listen, when you're first saved, you're thankful to be saved, but you're still primarily selfish. But God wants to give you victory over selfishness. Listen, the reason that most Christians are unhappy is because they spend so much time by themselves and not enough time with their father. You want to be a happy Christian? Spend time with your father. This says, come boldly to the throne. Praise God, we come boldly to the throne of grace when we have need. But God wants to go beyond that. You want to see what it says in verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1? Go to chapter 6, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. It's a remarkable truth. It's like for Sunday school class right here. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on under perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God and doctrines of baptisms and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This is what he's saying. All of those doctrines are critical. They're important. They're true, but they're the beginning. Now, go beyond that. And notice what it says, by the way, and let's become, let's go on unto perfection. Circle that. So let's go on, go into the bold, bold into the throne of grace, right? We start with, we have, let us have rest. Let us go to the throne of grace. Now let us go on unto perfection. So what does it mean to go on unto perfection? And I, I don't have time to go into this a great deal, but the end of the commandment, right? The word end, telos. The goal of the commandment is love. Do you know what the word behind perfection is? Telos. What does it mean? Reach the goal. Don't live in the ABCs all the rest of your life. Grow up. Well, what does a grown-up Christian look like? They're loving. They're loving. They're not selfish anymore. They're not selfish anymore. Now, how can I be like that? And the answer is because Christ is like that. And I can spend time with him, and I can be with him, and I can let him work in my heart. I can walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh, and God will change everything. And that's exactly what he's saying. Let us go on unto perfection. It has, listen... It has nothing to do with you perfecting yourself. It has, everything to you, it has everything to do with entering fully into everything that he already is and letting him do that in your life. It is important that you understand the foundational doctrines that happened when you were saved, but don't live there, Christian. There are a lot of Christians. I, listen to me. Hear me. There are a lot of 50- and 60-year-old Christians who have very little joy. You meet them. Go to the average Baptist church, walk in, see how much smiling there is going on. Why is there so little smiling? Why is there so little joy? And the answer is because there's so little love. Why is there so little love? Because there's so little walking after the Spirit. Really. God wants you to have that. Boy, what a tremendous piece this is. You know, we have a, you know, Friday night, I, I talk about it, or Saturday morning. You pick a time, Tuesday night class. Just come. You know, th- this is not a typical time. I'm really learning this. I almost want to just, just leave the pulpit, walk down and sit by, by two or three of you and just talk to you. Because you really think that the things that I'm saying right now are the things I'm supposed to say because I'm standing behind the pulpit. But what God wants you to have is peace that has nothing to do with Sunday morning sitting in a sermon. He wants you to have this kind of tremendous peace where he says, look, I want you to become perfect. Well, what does perfect look like? Love. That's what it looks like. Love. It does. Peace, joy, love. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. I'm better than they are. It doesn't. God, has, God wants nothing to do with that, right? Yes, no? He condemns it. 
Clearly he condemns it. The man stands at the altar and says, I thank you that I'm not like this guy. And the other guy says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said he went away justified, not the guy that stood there saying, boy, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. Yes? Why do we think that mature Christianity has to do with, has, has to do with doing a better job than everybody else? Mature Christianity has to do with love. Love. That's what it has to do with. And when I say love, I don't mean warm, fuzzy feelings. I mean giving of yourself selflessly for others, where you care about them and God's glory, and that's all you care about. And, and, and when you do so, you want no justification for doing it. I do not want anything for what I'm doing because I want everything that Christ gave me instead. Yes? What a tremendous piece this is. Going on unto perfection. Then go to chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10. Now again, you just notice that this is every single other chapter, God makes a point, and then he says, let me show you what can change because of this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Let us draw near. Let us, boy, I tell you what, isn't that, I mean, honestly, I can draw near to God. You can draw near to God. God says, notice we started. Notice we just started with being at rest. Not wrestling, not fighting, not trying in our own strength anymore. That's where we started. Just be at rest. Please have rest, God says. Please have rest. Now, when you have difficulty, come see me immediately. I want you to come see me immediately. Then he says, now look, don't just come see me immediately. Start loving each other. And then he says, now just, spend just stay here. Just stay here. Just draw near. Live in a relationship with me. You have the ability to get up in the morning, start your, instead of having your quote-unquote quiet time where you go spend 30 seconds with God, you get to wake up in the morning and immediately go to God. Immediately, before you even open a Bible, believe it or not. Just go spend time with God. Then open your Bible and spend time with God. You know what's funny? Prayer is prayer. Prayer is when you talk to God, but in order for God to talk to you, he has to use his word. You understand that? So you have to spend time in his word so that he can use his word to talk to you. Do you realize that God does not talk to you in your warm, fuzzy thoughts? That's not God. You might think it is. That's a lie. That's not, that's not it. When God speaks to you, he uses his word to speak to you. Now, you don't have to have the Bible open for him to use his word to speak to you, but you have to know your Bible for him to do that. That's why it says, let the word of God dwell in you richly so that the Holy Ghost can use the word of God all day long in your life. You can be at work either on a keyboard or with a jackhammer or whatever you do for a job, and God the Holy Spirit can be speaking to you all day long, but he's going to use the word of God to speak to you. Amen? How? Draw near. Draw near. And then we come to verse, in chapter, now we're, just gonna, we're almost done. Chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, the end of the book. Now that we've drawn near to him, this is a remarkable truth. This changes everything. It really does. This changes everything. A Christian that has drawn near to God, the next thing that they're willing to do is this. They're willing to stand alone with God. Notice what it says. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13. Let us go forth, therefore, now you put a big circle around this, unto him. Unto him. Listen to me, listen to me. God is not interested in isolationist Christians. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying, look, leave everybody, abandon everything, and you'll be a good Christian. Nope. Go away from what everybody tells you you must do and just go spend time with him. 
We'll spend time with him. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have fellowship with other Christians. You will have fellowship with other Christians. But what you'll find is the vast majority of the world will be rejecting you. The vast majority of the world will be rejecting. In fact, the vast majority of the religious world will be rejecting you and those that you're spending time with. Because they'll say, you guys are weird. You just care about love. You just care about peace. You just care about joy. You just want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ all the time. But don't you realize you got to this and you got to that? No, 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 I don't. Nope. I can draw near to my God. And now, here's the thing, because I have drawn near to God, I'm willing to stand by myself with Him if I have to. But praise God, here in America, you don't have to stand by yourself. There are a lot of other born-again Christians around you, and we can stand together. Maybe there's a small group of us, but we can stand together, our small group. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? What difference does it make? Honestly, that's what it says, right? Let us go forth. Now, He already died for us, verse 12. He died, He sanctified us by shedding His blood, and He suffered without the gate. They rejected Him, so if they reject me, that's okay. Honestly, think about how much longer you're going to be here. I mean, let's just take this morning, because I'm going to finish, right? You can bear with me for a couple more minutes, right? Preacher, I'm getting tired. You know, we, we we lost an hour of sleep last night. But I can make it, because I'm pretty sure you're almost done. But if you go into point seven, I'm leaving. <laughs> right? We're only life is but a life is but a vapor, the word of God says. And that and the word vapor literally means exhale. That's what it means. Your life is one breath and you'll be gone. And some of you are young and you think I'm gonna be here for a long time. You're not. I was young once too. It was yesterday. Amen. Soon it will all be over. And, you know, they say as you get older, time goes faster. And those of us that are getting older, it's like, wow, it really does go faster. Amen? You want to put a seatbelt down sometimes. It's going so fast. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. I'm fine with this. If you draw near to God, listen to me. If you do not draw near to God, you're not going to be able to go close and live without the camp. You're just not going to be able to because you're always going to care what other people think. I think uh, my daughter Rebecca is not in the room. She'll find out about this, and we'll have to talk about it later. Uh, last Thursday, the CEF, the children down the ministry down the street at the public school, they were supposed to have this this function, a party, and it was a party. It had a theme, and I can't remember exactly what the theme was. It had something to do with safari, safari. So my daughter Rebecca was dressed up like an antelope. She had little 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 horns and little paint, face painting, and it looked adorable. It looked adorable. Well, before, now they, she went home with my wife, and she took off the little thing on her head and stuff like that, but she still had the face paint on. And she got out of the car in our neighborhood, and two of the neighbors, two teenage girls in our neighborhood, saw her, and when they saw her, now, 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 now she says, one of them looked over their shoulder, looked back at their friend, their friend looked around that person, looked back at them, and then they both started to laugh. She said, so I'm sure they were laughing at me. And she said, but Dad, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything like, don't you know it's rude to stare? Didn't say anything like that. (laughs) What she wanted me to show was, what she wanted to show was the victory that she had in her life. And I said, honey, you want to know when you really have victory in your life? When you don't even notice that anymore. You just don't notice it anymore. Right? Because we are the strangers scattered. We just are. It's okay. It's okay. I remember my friends, I remember, when I was a baby Christian, I remember as a young Christian, my, you know, my roommate saying, Chuck, we're renewing the lease and you're not on it anymore. We just don't want you around anymore. And it wasn't like they were angry with me. You're just no fun anymore. We feel strange when we bring girls home because you're, you, you make them nervous because you're reading your Bible when they come in. 
It's hard to pick up girls when somebody's reading a Bible. Amen? I mean, it just is. And I understood how they felt because I thought to myself, you know what? If it had been one of them that was living like I'm living, I would feel like they had to go. Amen? But that's okay. Listen, if you're a new creature, it's okay to be a new creature. Amen? But understand this. If they're not, don't be upset with them for thinking you're the weirdo because they live in this world still. And it's all they've got. And if you're going to help them, they're going to have to be able to insult you without you getting bothered by it. Because that's what they need. See, and that's where love comes in. Because if you have the love of God filling your heart and life, when they're not kind to you, you won't feel like you have to defend yourself or attack them, neither one of them. You say, it's okay, I understand how you feel. I felt like that once before I was a new creature. Amen? Draw near to God. Then you can stand with him when there's nobody else around to stand with you. And we all work in places, we all go places where at some point you're the only Christian there. You're the only new creature in the group of people. And when you're that way, you shouldn't have to feel like you have to be silent. and You shouldn't have to feel like you have to be arrogant. You shouldn't have to feel like you have to defend yourself or attack them. You should just be able to love them with the same love that Christ loved you with and still loves you with, and understand that this is the love that he wants to pour through you and into their lives. That's what God wants to do. Now look at this, Let me just, and we're just going to be done. Verse 14 says this, this is the follow-up to going without the camp. For we have no, for here, verse 14, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. How many of you that are over the age of 40 have noticed the difference between the United States of America that we live in now and the United States of America you lived in when you were a teenager? Anybody? Remarkable the difference between what our nation is today and what it was just a few years ago? Unbelievable, isn't it? And, and we're bothered by it. As if America was the goal. And now I want good things for our country. Don't get me wrong, I want great things for our country, but this is not my home. What's it say in verse, in verse uh, 14? For here we have what? No continuing city. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yes? I want you to picture this. Anybody ever go camping? Yes? I hate camping. I know I said this a lot of times, but I hate camping. I am fine. I love to go out in the woods, not here because you guys have snakes down here. I want to go back to New England where there just are no snakes. And that really is a big deal. I mean, it may not be a big deal to you, but snakes are terrible. And I don't want them around. You know, as Dr. Dr. Hardison says, I hate snakes. And if you don't hate snakes, don't tell me because it'll change my opinion of you. Okay? (laughs) Because you're supposed to hate snakes. Okay? There's enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Supposed to be enmity there. Okay? When you go camping, you don't treat camping as if it was your house. Because it's not. It's just not. It's okay. We're just camping. Right? You don't have everything when you go camping that you have when you live at home, and it's okay because you're just camping. This is not my continuing city. I'm just camping. Well, guess what, Christian? This is not your continuing city. We're just camping. It may be for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 50 years, 60 years, 80 years, but we're just camping. This is not it. Now, by the way, notice the conclusion of this. Because this is not where we live, even if we're outside the camp, even if we don't have, quote-unquote, everything that everybody says that we should have, notice what it says in verse 15. By him, therefore, therefore, because this is true, by him, therefore, now here's the last let us. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God, what? 
continually. You, now listen, this is the very last let us in the book of Hebrews. So notice where they go. Where, notice where they start. Let us, listen, let us stop trying in our own strength. That's where it starts. Let us have rest. Notice where it ends. Let us praise God continually. Let us praise God continually. Let us live a life of thanksgiving and praise. Now, here's the thing. Did you notice how many stops there were along the way as God continues to grow us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, continues to perfect us, to make us the loving people that he wants? Notice, listen, notice, notice we end up being drawing near to him, so near to him that it's okay to stand all by ourselves. And then even when we're standing all by ourselves, just like Paul and Silas in a jail after being beaten, what are they able to do at midnight? Sing praises to God. Amen? That's not religion. That's a relationship with God. That's, that's the fellowship that goes all the way back to verse 10. That's the fellowship that goes all the way back to verse 10. We have an altar where we can eat with God. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, I can have fellowship with God. And because I can have fellowship with God, it's okay if I have to stand out here by myself right now. It's okay. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be defensive. And I surely don't have to be aggressive. I can simply love my God, love these people, and I can praise him no matter what's going on. Amen? Now listen, none of this did we make up. None of this did we put into this passage. All of this comes right out of the passage very, very clearly. And not only does it come out of the passage very clearly, as we went back through verse after verse after verse earlier in the book of Hebrews, it's very clear that he was building up to this the whole time. So where does it start? Listen, where does it start? Stop, tr- stop trying in your own strength. That's where it starts. You want, you, want to, you want to get to praising God all the time? Stop trying in your own strength. You look at them. You go back. You look at them. You look at the let us. Let us and then draw near to him. Spend time with him. So much time with him that when you're standing just with him, oh, so what? I'm with him. Amen? Yes? Right? I mean, does it really matter? Are you alone if Jesus is there? And the answer is no, no. But most Christians do feel alone, even though Jesus will never leave you or forsake you because your relationship is not what it should be with him. But as you draw near to him and you have a wonderful, sweet relationship with him, when you're standing all by yourself, it's okay. Again, what peace there is in the life of a Christian that doesn't have to defend themselves or attack somebody else. What peace is that? That's the kind of peace that God wants to give each and every one of us. And he wants us to be able to live there in a life of praise. Father, thank you for the time together this morning. Lord, thank you again for this opportunity to see from your word what we have and the difference it is meant to make in our life. Now, Father, let us, let us have these things. Lord, would you bless us now that we would be able to say, just say yes to these things in our own life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 